Welcome to the Ephesians 3 podcast. Here you can listen to the student talks given at Ephesians 3, a weekly fellowship where students at Newman Parish in Columbia, Missouri, speak on topics of faith and experience fellowship and life-giving community. Based on the passage of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, the ministry seeks to lead students deeper in the Catholic faith through community, conversation, and prayer. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode. So our, our theme for the night is dying, so we're going to have to take it down a little bit. <laughs> but um, let, let's just start with a quick prayer to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, it's so good to be able to be with you tonight. So thank you so much for the invitation to come out. Um, so a quick, quick story to start. Maybe six or seven years ago, I was stationed at our provincial house in Boston. So this is the largest house that we have as Daughters of St. Paul in the U.S. It's where our publishing house is located. So our, our mission is to work in media for the gospel, to communicate Christ using the most effective media. Our publishing house is there. We have about 60 to 70 sisters who live there. Big place. And one of my cleaning jobs in the house was to sweep the staircases. And in the middle of the house, we have this huge staircase that goes up from the Belvedere area, like the roof, all the way down to the basement. So it's about four stories. And you kind of start at the top, and you start sweeping your way all the way down. And by the time you get to the bottom, you have a healthy pile of dust and dead flies, and it's actually quite satisfying. If you're going to clean something, it feels like you've accomplished something cleaning the staircase. So I'm cleaning the staircase, and I get down to the bottom, and there's a good pile of dust and stuff down there that I'm sweeping into the dust can. And one of my elderly sisters walks by with her walker, and she's walking down the hallway, and she stops, and she sees what I'm doing with the dust. And she looks down at the pile of dust, and she looks up at me, and this smirk kind of crosses her face, and she goes, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. <laughs> Thanks, you too, sister. <laughs> it was funny, but it was also like a moment of, all of a sudden, this, this chore that I'm doing becomes this image of my mortality that I wasn't expecting. But as we enter into this theme tonight, which is dying, dying for Christ, dying to ourselves. We're also in a time of the church here where the church invites us to reflect on the reality of death and on the end times. And if you're paying attention to the readings during this time of the liturgical year, we're kind of, we've gotten to the end of the liturgical year, we're getting into Advent, this new year, and the readings are focused on the end times, on death. And even the weather around us, creation around us, as the trees are dropping their leaves and the days are getting shorter, but even creation itself is sort of reflecting this, this end. And there's an invitation here to reflect on what this means. And, you know, the theme tonight, again, is dying to self. But if we poke at that language, this is a metaphor. 
to die to self. And to understand what that metaphor is really pointing to, what it really means, we need to kind of scratch that language of death and make sure that we're understanding death correctly so that we can grasp the metaphor in its true sense. So what is death? Okay, we think about God did not create us to die. He created us to live. We were created to live. And more than that, we were created to live in relationship. So it's very important that we believe in a God who is Trinity, who is community, who is relationship, who is family. So God himself is this relationship, and we're invited into this communion of love between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're created for that. And we're created in the image of that, in that God made us man and woman and created us to be in relationship with each other, too. So even our relationships with one another image this life and this love that we're meant to share, that we're meant to experience. Death entered the world when that relationship was broken. So it's a consequence of broken relationship. It's a consequence of sin. We see in that story in Genesis when Adam fails to defend Eve from the serpent in the garden, and when Eve fails to trust in the word of God telling her not to eat the fruit. There's this rupture in relationship between Adam and Eve, between our human parents and the Lord, and this rupture leads to death. And yet, the break is not permanent because God decided it wasn't going to be permanent. God sent his son to enter our humanity and all that that entailed, which included our experience of death, so that death would no longer be an end. So it could be the start of something new. And those of us who experience the death of baptism now enter into this new life already with God, where death is transformed because God has touched it. He's touched it so that death no longer becomes a break between us and God or a break between us and one another, but it becomes a passageway to the life that we were created for because God has been there. And if his spirit is dwelling in us, then even death becomes his passage into life. But even though we've already died in baptism and we receive that new life of the Spirit, there's still a piece of us that is clinging to relationship without God, independence. There's this battle raging inside of us to say yes to the life that God offers us and to lean into this life but we know that in order to do that, we also have to say no to what St. Paul refers to as the old self. And it's the self that wants to define ourselves apart from God, the self that craves independence, the self that shies away from relationship. And I think we all experience this struggle, right? This, this battle that kind of happens within us. Um, St. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Romans, but we're caught in this tension between saying yes to the life that God holds out to us and then also resisting that life and resisting the relationships that it entails. There's two ways to think about this battle. And I think one way is to focus on the dying part, to think about well, what are those things that I have to say no to, the habits that lead us away from God, um, maybe certain 
behaviors that we know that we, we, we need to shy away from or relationships that just aren't working, the no's that we have to say in order to be in right relationship with God. So we can focus on the dying part of that equation, but I actually wouldn't recommend that. I think there's another way to look at it, and that's to focus on the living part. So what are the things that we say yes to? Because it's difficult to say no to something if we're not saying yes to something else. If we're focusing on what we're giving up or what we need to renounce, or if we're focusing on who we're saying yes to. And if we're focusing on the yes, then all of our talk of dying actually leads to a way of life. It helps us find a way to truly live. And another story I'd like to enter in here, my understanding of dying dramatically changed about six years ago. Um, one of my sisters, again, at her mother house in Boston, was dying. And when we know that one of our sisters is getting close to death, we organize a 24-hour vigil for her so that she doesn't have to die alone. So as sisters, we want to be with one another as much as possible. When our divine bridegroom comes to call us home, we want to be like the virgins with the lamps waiting um, for when he comes to welcome her. So we sign up for like a 24-hour vigil so that there's always a sister in the room praying and accompanying the sister who we know God is calling to call home very soon. So I had signed up to be with one of my sisters who at this point had a very advanced stage of Parkinson's or a form of Parkinson's. And she had gotten to the point where she was completely paralyzed. She couldn't speak. She couldn't swallow. Really all she could do at that point was breathe. And as I was sitting with her and praying with her, up until this point, I had always thought about death as something rather passive. It's kind of something that happens to us, something that we just have to accept. But sitting with this sister and seeing her breathe and how much work it took to breathe, I saw in her breaths that she was making a gift of herself with every breath. This is a sister that had lived decades of giving herself to the Lord, of being in this relationship with him. And here she's giving the last of what she has, the last of who she is. She's handing it over to the Lord with this trust. And I realized death isn't passive at all. It's gift. It's surrender. That she's giving herself in love to the Lord, and she's choosing to do it. And so when we talk about dying to self, we're not talking about self-rejection. We're talking about self-gift. And when we think about self-gift as well, we know that as we give ourselves, it's with the assurance that God is also giving himself to us. Again, it's this idea of relationship. We're offering ourselves knowing that the Lord has come to us first and is offering himself to us first. Even in scripture, when Jesus talks about dying to self, um, we get this from Luke. So Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So Jesus does command us to deny ourselves, but he does it in the context of a relationship with him. It's in the context of following him. We deny ourselves in order to follow Christ, in order to be with him. That's the yes 
that makes the no possible. And really, we can't make a gift of ourselves to God unless we've received his gift to us first, because that's the model of our gift. And he's the one, his love is the image that we're made in. So that's where we learn what it really means to make a gift of self and what it is to love. And even to know ourselves as being worth enough to be able to make that gift. Earlier this month, I was at a conference and a woman came up to me just beaming and really eager to share her story. So she had come into the Catholic Church about 20 years earlier and she had made her way in after a long journey of just searching. So she hadn't grown up with any particular faith background. Her family didn't practice anything. And by the time she was in maybe her, her mid-30s or early 40s, she really felt like she just needed to figure out what she believed in. She needed a faith to grab onto. So she started church hopping. And every weekend she would visit a different church of a different denomination. And she said she was just having a really hard time finding a community that fit, finding a place that felt like home. But one, one weekend, she was invited to go to a Catholic church, the parish up the street that I think her daughter's friend had invited her to attend. So this woman walked into the Catholic church and she said, when I walked in, I saw on the back wall of the church a gigantic crucifix. And she said, I think it was the first time I had ever seen an image of Jesus. The first time. She said, I sat in the back of the church. I didn't understand anything that was going on during the mass. I was completely lost. I didn't know the prayers. I didn't know when to stand up or kneel down or sit down. But I knew that the man on the cross was there for me. I knew that he was there for me. And that kept me coming back. And eventually she was received into the church. And she's been on fire <laughs> ever since because she saw the love of God for her in that image. And I think that's a question for us of how much time do we waste before the crucifix? How much time do we waste before the Eucharist letting God love us and letting him express to us what that gesture of love from the cross really means. Because this is really where we learn to love, in receiving that love of God from him and, and from the people around us through whom God works. And that's what gives us the courage to be able to love in a way that may lead us and will lead us to deny ourselves, but it's for the yes that is love. And ultimately, dying to ourselves means letting Jesus continue to die for the world in us so that the lives that we live, in a sense, make the crucifix visible to others. So this woman didn't think that she had ever seen a picture of Jesus before she walked into that church. But we can be that image of Jesus for how many other people on campus maybe have not seen, seen an image of Christ. But in the ways that we love them, in the ways that we know that we are loved by God and are able to express that through our lives, we too become that image of Christ dying for others and showing others that they are worth dying for, that you are worth dying for through the way that we live. It's a way that Jesus continues to die for the world 
through us and with us as we participate in his life, as we share his life. And so these little acts of love that we make, this idea of dying to self, is really a participation in the life of Christ and the way that we also grow in relationship with God. And so we can ask, well, what does this look like, practically speaking? Like, how do we, how do we bring this down? Um, I think first and foremost, to be able to spend time with the lives of the saints. If you have never read a biography of the life of a saint, pick one up over the Christmas break. The saints are wonderful because they really show us what God can do in our lives and the ways that he, in so many different ways, in so many different walks of life, continues to love the world through men and women who have fallen in love with him. And we can see the lives of the saints as examples of how so many men and women and children have learned what it is to die in order to live. But I think even more practically, we can look at a couple of concrete things that we can do, even just around campus, even in the midst of our studies, that I think can be small steps along this path to what it is to die to self in order to be able to love others and to say yes to the life and the love that God wants to offer us. And so I have three suggestions of ways to die this Advent that I'd like to put out to you. And maybe consider um, if one of these might be a way also to, to prepare the way of the Lord, prepare for Christ's coming at Christmas as we get ready to welcome him, um, kind of clearing out the manger of our lives, clearing out the stable, and getting ready to welcome our king. So here's three. Number one, um, looking at different ways that we can give ourselves, the gift of time. The gift of time. So time is very precious, and I don't know about you, but I like to control how much I have and what I do with it, and when I do things with it. Um, and even how we waste time. We like to choose the, the ways that we use the time that's given to us. But to consider, how did Jesus use his time? How did Jesus use his time? And what might he want to do with the time that he's entrusted to you? How much time do you set aside to be with the Lord in prayer? Or how much time do you set aside to be with a friend or someone who could just really use a companion, someone to talk to? someone who needs someone to listen to them. Looking at the ways that we use our time can be an opportunity to die to the ways that we might want to use it or be inclined to use it, or those moments when we're inclined to, to pick up our phone and start scrolling through something. Is there a way that I can offer this time to the Lord that he's given me, that I can make a gift of it instead of just consuming it? I had a boss once who, um, so every year for Lent, one year she was praying about what she was going to do, and instead of giving up chocolate, which she decided she didn't really care about anyway, she started thinking, well, what is it that I really value? What is it that I really value that I need to give to the Lord? And she realized what I value the most is my time. And so she started making an hour of adoration every day during Lent. That was her practice to take something that she was holding onto so tightly and to offer it to Jesus as a gift. It's a beautiful thing to think about. So that's the first one, the gift of time. The second one, the gift of our plans. 
And this is a challenge to welcome interruptions. So it can be very easy when we're going about our day and we have an idea of how we want things to go and we have things scheduled out in a certain way and maybe somebody comes up to us and kind of throws off the plans. But maybe this is an opportunity to give myself to the interruption and honor what God is asking of me in the person who comes up to me or in this situation where it seems like my best laid plans have just crumbled. Is the Lord at work in this? But also to wake up in the morning and to kind of offer our day to the Holy Spirit and to say, give me an opportunity to speak about you today. Um, show me how you want me to reach out to someone today. And see what the Holy Spirit does with that. I, I did that once in college. Um, I woke up and I, I really felt like God was asking me to pray for an opportunity to share him with others. I had started coming into my faith a little bit more and trying to get out of my shyness bubble and, and, and do a little bit more of my faith sharing. And so I felt compelled to pray this prayer. And over the course of the day, my um, someone did come up to me and had asked me a question about what I was planning to do after graduation. And at that time, I, I had started thinking about religious life. And if I hadn't made that prayer to the Holy Spirit that morning, I probably would have changed the subject and said something else because it was a little nervous going down that road and trying to explain religious life to people. But because I had offered that prayer, I recognized in that moment that God was giving me an opportunity to say something, to talk about him. And so there's a way, too, that our prayer kind of opens us up to what God might be doing, um, to the creativity of God, to the ways that he's calling us to participate in what he's doing in the world. So that might be another way. Number three, I'm going to call this the gift of authenticity or the gift of presence. And that is when you're with someone, that you're really with someone. That you're really listening to what they have to say. That the person in front of you is the most important person in that moment. And it also means to be able to share your true self with a person, to share your feelings, to share your experience of faith, um, to, to make a choice that's relational. There's um, a beautiful movie, I don't know if you've seen it, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood about uh, Mr. Rogers. It's a great movie if you haven't seen it, but there's a, a scene in that movie based on a true story where Fred Rogers is on the phone with a journalist who's quite jaded. Um, his name is Lloyd Vogel. And this journalist is just kind of going through the motions of having this conversation. And Mr. Rogers stops him and he asks him, do you know what the most important thing in the world to me right now is? And Lloyd's kind of like, what? What do you mean? What's the most important thing to you right now? And Mr. Rogers responds, the most important thing to me right now is talking to Lloyd Vogel. It's the person in front of me. And recognizing that when we're with someone, this is an opportunity for me to give myself to another. And that's the, Lord, the way that the Lord is with us too when we go to him in prayer. Um, that whether or not we're totally there, God is always totally for us. And we can learn from that. We can learn from that. So those are a few ways um, that we can practice kind of that act of, of dying to self, of giving ourselves to the Lord and to others. And um, I invite you, as we enter into this Advent season, as we meditate on the readings to come 
especially the readings where we are looking at the end of the world and, and looking at death. But it's death that's leading to the new life that Christ offers us beginning at Christmas, where Jesus is born. He enters our humanity. He makes something new. And so every dying that God might call us to, and there can be some very difficult deaths where we have to let go of something we, we thought we really wanted, um, or, or we have to set aside something that we were really hoping for. We know that this leads to a newness of life. And even the liturgical season that we're living right now expresses that to us. So we can look at that with hope. We can look to Christmas as a sign of this hope of the life that God is offering us. And, um, and, and we can close just with a, a simple prayer asking God to help us, to inspire us, to show us the ways that he's calling us to uh, this growth, this fullness of life, and the love that he so wants to, to offer us. So um, let's just pause for a moment. And um, just thank the Lord for his presence here with us, for all the ways that he's loved us this day. And Lord, I just ask that you'll open us evermore to your love and help us to be able to share this love with others so that when others see us, they'll see an image of you. They'll see the love that you're constantly pouring out upon us, the ways that you're calling us to freedom and newness of life. And I ask you to bless us, Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.